sacrifice. Oh, I did it for the run. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton the Bumblin' Rumbler Green. <laughs> and his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach. The Regal Rumbler, Barlow. I like it. We both did a, like a rumble thing. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to theme it yeah, for this episode. I, I think mine was better, though. Yeah, it probably was. This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, rivalries, matches in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for a while. And if you know nothing about wrestling... Don't worry, because as you'll soon find out, I, I don't I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we gonna be talking about today? It's the Royal Rumble. So as of our as of this episode's dropping, uh the Royal Rumble twenty nineteen is uh on Sunday. So uh what better time than to talk about the Royal Rumble? Comes around every January and it's always something that people really look forward to. It's the kickoff to the road to WrestleMania. This is uh, the show, and more importantly, the match, which determines who's going to challenge for the uh, the world title at WrestleMania. Of course, it hasn't always been like that. Uh, I was about to say, so it does, it, does it always work that way, though? Is like the ti- world title match is determined by the Royal Rumble no matter what? Um, so not, well, not quite. Uh, well, because for one thing, there are, and ever since the uh, the brand split in 2002, there have been two world titles. So uh, usually one of the two is determined by that. And there's actually, in 2004, they, they utilized kind of a little loophole where you don't necessarily have to challenge for the your brand's title. Uh, but it hasn't always been like that. It originally came out in 1988, was the first Royal Rumble. And then it was just like a one-off, like, here's a little fun thing we're doing uh, that was just on cable. And uh, I'm not quite sure exactly. It was pretty early on, I think around 1994, when they actually started doing the whole, like, the winner gets a shot at the world title kind of thing. Uh, there was actually one time in 1993 where the winner became the WWF champion. And, uh, and it's just become part of uh, the WWE's Big Four uh, pay-per-views, and it's honestly one of my favorites, just because I find the Royal Rumble is a lot of fun. You get lots of cool little segments, uh, lots of surprises. We'll get into the Royal Rumble match itself uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, but we do have a few matches to go through uh, beforehand. So this is the Royal Rumble 2001, uh, one of my personal favorites. Uh, 2001 is really the last year of the Attitude Era, so this is January. This is the beginning of that year, and um, this is uh, this is towards the end of the Attitude Era. WCW only has a couple of months left. Uh, same for ECW. So the WWF is firmly, you know, in the uh, winner circle here. Uh, as it as it pertains to the Attitude Era, uh, but you know we still have a lot of big top guys from the Attitude Era: Steve Austin, The Rock, 
Kane, Undertaker, Triple H, Kurt Angle, those kind of guys, all on this show. Uh, I have a question. Give it to me. Has has the Royal Rumble itself always been its own special? Or, like, the first time they did it, was it just like, here's a really long one? No, it's it has always been called the Royal Rumble. Uh, there have been a couple of instances where... Uh, they did on SmackDown. They one time they had like a mini Royal Rumble. It was fifteen guys, and then uh, and then most recently they did their greatest Royal Rumble from Saudi Arabia, uh, and it's oh the greatest yeah. indeed. <laughs> it's normally thirty guys, although the very first version of the Royal Rumble was only twenty, uh, and then the year after that they started with thirty. There was one year where they did forty. And then the greatest Royal Rumble was 50. So, uh, But 30 is, God is typically damn. your number. Yeah, 50 might have been a few too many. Let's get started. Um, so I, one thing I like to talk about, the, the Royal Rumble does have this one little problem. And with a, a few exceptions, the Royal Rumble does tend to be filled with a lot of guys you know aren't going to win. Uh, and... There, yes. It, typically, you can at least if you can't predict who's going to win, you can narrow it down to like five or less guys. And in this yeah, one, yeah, you can get a top five through, throughout the easily. whole thing. They pretty much pimp out a handful of guys, and it's Steve Austin, Undertaker, Kane, Rikishi, and The Rock. It's those five guys, and so it's like going into the thing, you know, it's going to be one of those five guys, and we can really knock that down to four. What? You, why are you knocking out Undertaker? <laughs> uh, clearly, we're talking about Rikishi, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're talking about Rikishi. Hey, but this was like the top of Rikishi. This was the peak Rikishi right now because he was in. Yeah, I know, but he was in Rikishi. Even at his peak, is not that um, not that high up. Well, they were really pimping out. They were putting him in uh, world title matches. And uh, and even here, you can see they're talking about him like he's got a really good shot. Uh, that is true. They definitely are hyping the fuck out of him. Exactly. Uh, so we start with our quick little pre-match promo, basically just showing a montage of all the guys in the match while there's a voiceover talking about how important it is uh, and how this is the first step to ultimate glory. So we come to the arena. We're in... Nolans here, which is how a lot of them try to say New Orleans. Um, yeah, um, for for non-natives of the area, uh, it's New Orleans. It's not New Orleans, and um, it's typically not Nolans. It's it's one hundo, never Nolans. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that no one's ever called it that. If you're actually like from there, if you're from around there. Uh, we get to our first match, which is a tag team championship between the Dudley Boys and Edge and Christian. We've actually been watching a lot of these guys lately. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking when they came out, is that, you know, they've been pretty familiar faces here on our podcast. Uh, the good old, the Dudleys. Um, JR, what, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that Edge looks like he just came back from Party City and that he's also about to go snowboarding. Okay, that's a very specific thing. Why do you say that? 
Because he's wearing those big-ass, goofy-looking snowboarding goggles. But also, they look like a prop. They don't look Okay, real. to be fair, that's just how all sunglasses looked during the early 2000s. Okay, you have an excellent point. JR mentions that the Dudley boys suffered some head injuries after they were double concertoed by Edge and Christian, which is where they sandwich a guy's head between two chairs. Uh, they also put Bubba Ray through a table. Um, when we come back to the arena, the Dudleys are already attacking Edge and Christian, and they, they brawl on the outside briefly before they come back in the ring. And the fans are chanting, we want tables. Um, pretty pretty early on yeah. in the get-go. Yeah, that's one thing with these guys, is that you can't really... It's interesting that this is just... I mean, this is not like a no-holds-barred or an extreme rules, right? This is just a straight-up tag team. Um... And usually when you get these guys out there, things are bound to get a little bit nuts. And so um, I definitely see where the crowd's coming from. I want tables, too. It's like, come on, do your dance. Do your dance, you you wrestling monkeys. Let me, let me enjoy you go putting each other through tables over and over again. Um, I know you hate tag team matches, so what did you think of this? Uh, unsurprisingly, I did not really care for it. It's, okay, I will say, of the tag teams we've watched, it is a better tag team match. Uh, because it, it manages to be followable, if that's a word, which I don't think it is. But it's easier to follow than a lot of tag teams, but it does still get a little bit muddied, uh, throughout. One question I do have, though, is that in a tag team match, is it technically illegal to fight outside the ring? Um, so, if you're the two legal men, and you're fighting outside the ring, you'll get counted out. I suppose if you're the two non-legal men, then you can do whatever you want. Because uh, there's just a point here where, like, Bubba Ray Dudley uh, is sitting outside the ring, and he's just watching Edge and Christian, like, set stuff up and just style on Devon, and it's like, dude, you could just walk around and pull Edge off the turnbuckle if you really want. I mean, I to. think it's technically illegal for you to attack, like, for the non-legal man to attack the legal man in the match. Although, right, but if they're double teaming him, you should at least that go is after something the really funny about tag team matches is that like, it's kind of like I've been watching a series of unfortunate events. It's kind of like that in that like. Count Olaf does all this horrible stuff to the Baudelaire's, kills all of their guardians, but, like, whenever, like, the opportunity comes up where they're like, hmm, we should push him off this boat, they're like, no, because we will be as bad as he is. That's kind of like how this is. That always happens in tag team matches where the faces will, like, refuse. They'll just watch their partner get double teamed because they care about the rules too much. Yeah, which is just weird because, I mean, as we've talked about, obviously the rules don't matter. The rules aren't real, but breaking that illusion does kind of suck. We've talked about that a million other times on this podcast, so I won't go that deep into it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, this suffers to me from the regular problems of a tag team match, but Dudley's versus Christian and Edge is always going to give a, a somewhat of a decent spectacle. And so I enjoyed the match. I just didn't love it. Here's something I want to to talk about that really is not going to have any bearing on the match, but it's something that they say on commentary. 
King says, I love it when Bubba talks trash. And JR says, does it keep you aroused? And, oh like, King's God. reaction to it was mine. Because he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't know why he sometimes, says that. Sometimes the commentary team will just, they will look for any little crack, any little opening to insert some horiness into the show. And, I mean, they get a big old gaping opening. Well, oh, man, now I'm inserting horniness into the podcast without even meaning to. <laughs> They definitely get an opportunity to be horny later, and boy, do they take it. We have to insert the horny into the match. (laughs) Uh, Right, and so it's... There's nothing horny about this match, but boy, are they trying with that line of dialogue. This is something also that always bothers me about a match, is like when the, the referee... Like... The referee is blind whenever the heels do something... Yes. Like, so they double-team Devon the whole time, and then finally Devon tags in Bubba, and then, like, somehow the referee missed the tag. Yes, a very obvious tag that he was looking right at. Um, They do attempt a concerto, but Devon ducks, and they Edge and Christian hit the chairs against each other. Okay, what I love about this attempted concerto is that the whole thing is that, like, the ref is distracted chewing out uh, Bubba Ray while they're doing the concerto, right? Yeah. But then he turns back around, and suddenly there are two chairs in the ring. Well, I can't disqualify you because I didn't technically see you try to use the chairs, but these two mysterious chairs just showed up, and that is definitely your gimmick. That, and um, it, that Something like that with a chair being very obviously used happens a lot later, too, and it's just really funny. Like, you could hear the chair... You see the chair in the ring, but you just didn't <laughs> see them use it. So you're like, hmm. Well, hey, I can't, I can't make this. Correlation does not equal causation. <laughs> well, they're not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So they sadly must walk free. We get a pretty nice ending segment here, though, I think. Uh, Edge comes in with the title belt and tries to hit Bubba with it, but Bubba ducks and rolls up Edge for a two count. Although I will say, we get a very confusing like situation where it's not very clear who's who's like legal and who's not. Uh, right, no, actually, uh, when, we, when we end up getting the count, I'm pretty sure the non-legal man gets the pin. Yeah, it's very it's very strange. So they they Edge and Christian attempt to do the was up headbutt where that's the Dudley's move. Edge is holding uh or Christian is holding Bubba's legs spread while Edge is going to come off with a headbutt to his crotch, but Bubba rolls up Christian and pins Christian. And, and now then, I have a question. And then and then Edge Devon pushes Edge off and makes him headbutt Christian in the crotch. So he's pinning Christian, which would imply that Bubba and Christian are the legal men. But go ahead with your thing. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, is the was up headbutt the only move in the WWE inspired by a Bud Light commercial? As far as I know. <laughs> or do is there the, does someone out there have the Buds McKenzie? <laughs> someone has the Clydesdale horses. <laughs> the four horsemen. Um... But yeah, so like the very briefly, Bubba covers 
Christian, but then they hit the 3D on Edge, and Devon pins Edge. So, at one point, he, yeah, he, but- it's the complete two opposite guys. Yeah, no, it's extremely confusing, and I'm almost positive that Devon did not get the tag and should not have been able to do that. And I don't think Edge was legal either. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, uh, nothing really too special to this match. Had a good, pre- a pretty good ending segment, but otherwise was very basic tag team match to me. So I gave it two and a half out of five stars. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's, I mean, it's very textbook. This is a tag team match. Yeah. But again, you know, when we talk about the top of the show always has sort of the, you want something to warm up the crowd that you're not, you don't want to, but you don't want to waste your big shot on that. Oh, for sure. Uh, They take us to earlier tonight where we see the man of the fucking evening. This guy gets more screen time (laughs) than anybody. Is the one and only and uh, 2011 WWE Hall of Fame inductee Drew Carey? What? Oh uh, yeah, I did not know that he was a Hall of Fame inductee. Yeah, for this performance. So I was watching this with my brother, who does not actually watch. I mean, he's watched a little bit of wrestling, but not a whole lot. And he was very shocked when Drew Carey showed up, and I was just like, "Yeah, man, just." That's to be expected at and this he point did, after, after all of this that we've seen. And he seen. didn't see what was to come, either. No, he didn't. He saw a lot of, uh, he saw, like, two-thirds of what was to come. So, yeah, they're basically, he's only here so they can very shamelessly plug his, like, stand-up improv pay-per-view show. Yeah, his, uh, you mean his All-Stars improv pay-per-view happening this Saturday before the Super Bowl? I guess. <laughs> they said it so many times it's burned in my brain. It was coming on at 7 o'clock. You know what's really funny is that Drew Carey is probably way more remembered for his performance in the 2001 Royal Rumble than he is for that improv show. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then we go to an interview with uh, Michael Cole with Frosted Tips and Vince McMahon. <laughs> Vince McMahon says, in the interest of fairness, Steve Austin will compete in the Royal Rumble match tonight, and Triple H will be in the WWF Championship match. Apparently, in the weeks leading up to this, there was some sort of, like, they were prohibited from attacking each other unless they were provoked. And Vince McMahon says, well, they were both provoked, so they're both going to make it. So Vince McMahon is obviously in line with Triple H, who is in the storyline and soon to be in real life, his son-in-law. And then, of course, Vince and Austin, we had an entire episode about how they hate each other. Yeah, and so, isn't it, it's someone pushed Triple H, and Triple H hit Steve Austin like a domino. Yeah, yeah, Kurt Angle pushed Triple H into Austin, and so they attacked each other. So Vince is going to let them both compete tonight. What a nice guy. What a what a good good man. So now... And no punishment for Kurt Angle. Yes. Well, he's the champion. Backstage, Triple H is talking to his wife, Stephanie McMahon, and he tells her he doesn't want her to screw up his match by getting involved because Trish Stratus is going to be accompanying Kurt Angle to ringside. So let me kind of catch you up to speed. So Vince is having an affair with Trish Stratus in the story. Um, yes. While Linda is in a comatose, vegetative state. 
It's later revealed that he drugged his own wife so that he could make her watch him fuck one of his employees. Uh, we use the word heal a lot here. And, and I feel that this goes somewhat beyond that. I feel like that's the thing with Vince McMahon. He's always pushing the envelope of heel from, like, bad guy that you can root for to absolute monster. And we haven't even... Who should be in We jail. haven't even talked about how he once uh, beat up his own daughter and uh, told The Undertaker that he wanted to call in a gang of bikers to rape his wife. Yeah, and let's not forget that he really, really, but he did not end up doing this, but really, really, really wanted to push an incest angle with his own daughter. That's true. So he just settled for he beat her up. (sighs) That's the thing with Vince McMahon is, like, this man lives as a heel, (laughs) and then, like, (laughs) also just enjoys being He's a heel in real life. He is a heel in real life. And, I don't know, it's, it's wild. It's just insane to me. That he has these ideas and he's like, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what we need. <laughs> it, do you think he's the one coming up with all this crazy shit? Or do you think it's the writers and he's just eating it from up? From what I've heard a lot of times, so the writers come up with really stupid shit all the time. But a lot, they all, like, I mean, it's a very weird kind of office where everything has to be run by Vince McMahon. Everything has to be approved by him. But he comes up with the fucking weird shit a lot, too. Because he's an old man who is very out of touch. Yes, he is a muscle grandpa that has said many offensive things. In fact, uh, last night while I was watching this, my brother showed me a clip of him saying the N-word, and it's very bad. Ah, yes. And did you get to the part? Right in front of Booker T. Yeah, and where Booker T says, tell me, he didn't just say that. Which I really want a gif of. Because that's the perfect reaction. That was his catchphrase. Everything. Oh, really? Yeah. His catchphrase was, "Tell me, you didn't just say that." And so, but yeah, he was calling John Cena the N word because you know John Cena's a rapper and it's fine, right? Oh, do you think that Vince McMahon? And this is the last thing I'll say about him because he's really like—I mean—he's important to this. But but I do feel that we've gone down a rabbit hole that I've taken us down. Do you think he walks like that everywhere? Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, where he looks like he's just okay. Pops out for a baby. So it clearly looks like he pooped his pants when he walks, right? Yes. Okay, I heard a story and is proud. I heard of a it. story one time where he he actually did poop his pants. Oh my god! Apparently, Vincent Man thinks farts are really funny. And so he was backstage about to go on air, and he decided to fart on one of, like, the, the like, show producers backstage. But it was, he exerted too much manly muscle force. That's the thing, when you have that many muscles, you don't know your own strength. And he, he whole ass pooped himself. That is amazing. I wonder if he just Vince McMahon walked away. <laughs> I'm sure. He he came out, and he, but no, he had to walk out. He had to be on TV with his pants pooped. Oh, shit. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Apparently they had to be really creative, and they told the directors, like, they're like, all right, don't show this camera angle because we don't want to show his poop pants. <laughs> so the the tonight's MVP, Drew Carey, comes in and shakes Triple H's hand. Uh, Triple H is trying to get rid of him because he's got a big match coming up. So Stephanie takes Drew to Trish Stratus's dressing room. Uh... We also go to a poker game with the APA, Farouk and Bradshaw, who apparently are just playing poker with just the two of them. And like 15 or 20 goddamn beers on the table. Yeah. Uh, they, they're they're like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. They're comparing Royal Rumble numbers, and, and Bradshaw laughs at Farouk's number, so obviously he got a low number. Crash Holly comes in, and he's super hyper, and he says like seven words and th- Two seconds, and then he leaves. <laughs> I really don't know what he says. He's just like, <laughs> and then Farouk. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it's a very jarring. And Bradshaw says, they call us drunks. <laughs> uh, our next pre-match promo is uh, showing us the rivalry between the two Canadian Chris's, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. This one doesn't really show us too much of a story, just the two guys wailing on each other, which is really all we need to know. Yeah, there's not, I mean, there's. I don't think there's a whole lot below the surface on this match, unless I'm mistaken. No. Um, so we get a ladder match. See, we're not done with ladder matches. Oh, indeed, we are not. Uh, a ladder match for the Intercontinental Championship. Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit. Two guys who are pretty good friends, two guys who kind of, took very similar paths. Both started out working in ECW, then went to WCW, and now are here in the WWF. Came in uh, the same around the same time, actually. Uh, the the two... Uh, go ahead. Quick question about Chris Jericho. Is, this is a man who is still with the company, right? Uh, he actually just very recently um, left the WWE, and he's uh, now in a brand new promotion that just started called All Elite Wrestling. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. But yeah, Chris Jericho Uh, stayed with the company for a pretty decent amount of time. He actually started off in 1999 because he he went by the name Y2J. Like Y2K. Very, very uh, good bit, but also sort of after Y2K didn't happen, doesn't really work that well anymore. And it's funny, it stuck. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of wild. It's wild 2J. <laughs> uh, we start off with some brawling right off the bat. Uh, Benoit attempts a crippler crossface. Uh, basically, the storyline here is that uh, that Jericho's arm was injured earlier by Benoit, so Benoit's really focusing on that arm. He throws him shoulder first into the turnbuckle, fo- turnbuckle post. Um. And he's he's trying to hit that get him in the crossface to to really work over the arm. Yeah. Um. So this match, I I have problems with. Really. Yeah. Just because. Okay. After I mean, if you want to hear about ladder matches and all the cool ways ladders are used, go listen to our last episode. We talk about it ad nauseum. So I won't do that here. But what I will say about this match is that the ladder usage is mostly 
hit with or thrown at, and I feel like it's just not very creative in that Well, regard. these two guys are not your high fly. Well, Jericho is a little bit, but I actually really enjoy this match, uh, and I actually think they do some unique uses of the ladder, uh, particularly a little bit later on, but I understand what you mean. It doesn't have the same high-flying craziness, and I think I think you've been spoiled on the ladder match. I think I because have. I feel I, like, I think I feel you're, like right you're having that. trouble, if it's not crazy, finding finding the really good gems in a ladder match. No, they're there. It's just like, I don't know. It, in this match, at least three or four times, they set a ladder up in a corner and they throw somebody at it. And it's just like, I don't know. I've seen that move. Give me a new move. I will say probably the uh, the craziest moment in the match does not involve a ladder at all. Um, it involves a chair. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, I actually really love that that shot. That was really yeah, cool. Yeah, so, so Jericho's on the outside, and Benoit comes charging at him, dives through the ropes, and Jericho picks up a chair and hits Benoit with it as he's coming out of the air. And it's super brutal. Uh, Jericho just, like, gave him dementia right there. Cherico, Cherico. Uh, but actually, so I was watching that because every time I watch a Benoit match, I'm watching to see sort of how the how he takes his hits. Um, and here there are a couple of really nasty ones that aren't quite as nasty as they seem, and that's one of them because when he comes off, what he does is push down with his hands on the chair, so it's like he's almost using the chair to springboard forward. Um, but it does, I mean, it looks really brutal, but I, I noticed that. I thought that was a really cool method of doing that hit. Well, it's, you're supposed, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to protect your head with your hands. Benoit takes them straight to his head a lot of the time. Uh, oh, yeah, and he does that here a couple of times with the ladder. Yeah, it, it, it's just a brutal move that makes you wonder how he's not dead right now. I mean, right Oh, right I mean, then. well, he, yeah. <laughs> um... Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you're right. We do we do get the ladder, and we're we're ramming it fa- like into each other's faces a lot. Um. Uh, Jericho whips Benoit face first right into the top rung of the ladder. Uh, Jericho starts climbing the ladder at one point, but Benoit cuts him off, picks him up, and dumps him right over the top rope. Benoit climbs the ladder now, and Jericho climbs up after him. And here's what I'm talking about, an innovative, unique use of the ladder. When Jericho puts Benoit in the walls of Jericho on top of the ladder. That was fucking cool. That was pretty cool. I actually have that written down here as being one of the fucking coolest moments. I would say in this whole show. Yeah. um, Because I have never seen anyone, like, put someone in a hold on a ladder. That was really dope. so, yes, I agree with it's you It's, like, now become, like, a signature move of Chris Jericho in ladder matches. He does a lot. But here, I think, was the very first time that had ever been done. And, yeah, it was super cool. And then he just dumps him over the ladder, and he goes crashing to the ground. Um, But Benoit does. He is able to knock the ladder over and uh, and... Yeah, he knocks the ladder over and and Jericho comes crashing down. Um, 
Yeah, I, I also love the using the ladder to pin someone thing. That's that's a lot of fun to me. What do you mean? The where where he puts the ladder on like where basically under his arms. Oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and then Jericho at one point jumps off the ladder, but Benoit catches him and puts him in the crippler crossface, and Jericho is tapping out, even though it doesn't matter. Um, and I actually really like that. I I really like that spot because it really sells me on the ladder match. You know, we talk about anytime you have a match with special rules that can end any other way, it's kind of lame. And so I think that having a wrestler try to end it in another way and that not working really goes to drive home the special nature of the match. Well, that and it and it is able to also do something where you're able to like sell like a really painful move but not right. have the guy tap out to it. I mean, like, physically he does tap out, but he doesn't lose. Um, exactly. Eventually, Benoit goes for a diving headbutt off the ladder, but Jericho rolls out of the way. Um, Jericho climbs up, uh, and then Benoit knocks the ladder over. Jericho gets guillotined on the top rope. Benoit climbs up the ladder, but now Jericho hits him in the back with a chair, he shoves the ladder over, and Benoit, like, hits the ropes and goes tumbling down to the outside. Jericho climbs the ladder and finally gets the belt. Again, I think there were some pretty unique uses of the ladder and some pretty brutal spots here and there. I mean, no, it was a good match. It was it was fine. It's just coming off of last last episode, you know, I got to see some really great stuff there with ladders. So. Fair point. I—, I and that's the thing is like there are you're right there are a few fantastic spots here but a lot of it is just smack you with the ladder you smack me with the ladder yeah i give it a 3.25 out of 5 stars personally uh i think that's uh that's a fair rule how many how many men and how many ladders just two men and one ladder two men one ladder so it does not but, weigh but very one good chair, on that one scale. chair oh and one chair you're right you're right so okay that bumps it up a little bit a little bit we go backstage uh, to uh, the the greatest wrestler on this show, Drew Carey. <laughs> He's talking to Trish Stratus and is weirdly hitting on her. Vince McMahon comes in and is not pleased with Drew hitting on his girl, which so is just weird all around. Yeah, it's it's just a very strange. And if I were Drew Carey, I think I would have been like. Can we do another thing? Can we? Can this not be it? Can I not look like a mega creep? But he does it. Yeah, and I feel like you know, like that was something that they loved to do. They loved to like pimp out their divas and be like, "Oh, look at how pretty they are. Look at how all the men drool over them and get big, big boner dicks." Yeah, no, it definitely like, and this is something uh, not to give away the topic of next week. But I think we're going to get into the evolution of that. Oh, for um, sure. But no, at this time, it's definitely just like, hey, look, it's it's titties, guys. <laughs> hey, guys, it's tits. Which is a really big disservice to a lot of these women who are fantastic athletes. Especially Trish Stratus. It's very sad how they treat Trish Stratus here because she ends up being, she's considered to be like, if you had a Mount Rushmore of women's wrestlers, she would easily be on it. Uh, but this was a time when she was fairly new in the company. She wasn't really even used as a wrestler. She was just used as eye candy. So it is pretty sad to see her being used this way in particular. 
Yeah, and you know that all goes back to Mr. McMahon. I I feel. Um, Drew asks for help promoting his show, so Vince says, "What better way than to be in the Royal Rumble?" Which I asked this, and then my question was later answered in the show. But I was like, "It's the day of the show, and there's still an open spot in the Royal Rumble." Yeah, no, I I also had that thought went through my mind as well. Uh, But Vince, of course, mentions, hey, I won it two years ago, uh, and I wish we hadn't have been reminded of that. (laughs) Um, And Drew asks if he'll get hurt, and Vince says, of course not. Um, And I'm wondering if Drew was watching, like, the, the man who was nearly murdered in the last match. Yeah, no, but that was uh, one thing that actually my brother pointed out while we were watching it is that Drew Carey showed up to this wrestling show and spent all of his time not watching it. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. And it's, like, really funny because he clearly doesn't have any idea what's going on. He doesn't know who any of the people are. Yeah. He says um, a line. And he, he... he has a line when he talks to Triple H where he's like, oh, I've, I fell off on watching it for about a year because I've been so busy. Yeah, he like even makes a reference to an older wrestler. He's like, I saw Kamala the other day, and Triple H is like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> um, next we go to China and Billy Gunn, um, two former members of D-Generation X that have kind of split off, uh, but they're, they're still working together. The former Mr. Ass... Uh, yes. Okay, so this is before, or this is after, this is post-ass. This is post-ass. Now he's the one Billy Gunn. You know, I'm gonna go ahead and say I like the Mr. Ass gimmick Oh, more. of course. Um, Billy is warning China to listen to her doctors, but she says she doesn't care what they say because Ivory hasn't given her a choice and that he needs to worry about himself. Um... That uh, that takes us into our pre-match promo for the next thing. So China, the ninth wonder of the world, not the eighth wonder because that was Andre the Giant, uh, the ninth wonder of the world. Basically, China's whole gimmick is Big Lady. Yeah, and I think it's interesting here also how China's used as sort of the last, I think, one of, other than obviously the egregious use of little people that sometimes happens in the WWE, the exploitation there, but she's kind of the last, like, sideshow, like, big lady. Like, look at how big this lady well, is. Well, I will say, China person. was treated pretty seriously. She's going to be wrestling for the women's championship here. And this is actually the first time she's attempted to wrestle for the women's title because she's been wrestling men. She ha- She's actually a two-time intercontinental champion um, and the first woman to ever do so. She's So she's won male titles she's been in the royal rumble twice so this is actually the first time they put her in the women's division and don't get me wrong i'm not saying like i mean china is a fantastic wrestler and obviously as you were saying has some fantastic moments that she's gotten uh i just think that like her gimmick as like hey everybody come look at how big this lady is is sort of it's because wrestling evolved from being a sideshow thing and she's sort of a holdout of that. Yeah, I, I can see that. And and here is when they're actually, believe it or not, when they put her in the women's division is when they start treating her as less of a sideshow. Although that doesn't last very long, she actually ends up leaving the company later this year because she was with Triple H, but he allegedly cheated on her with Stephanie McMahon. 
Yeah, I see where that would be rough. So do we think that her being completely disbarred from the company is maybe due to those sort of internal politics less than it is the porn, or is it definitely 100% the porn? I think it started out as being uh, just the politics. If she had not... Okay, I think that that's the real reason, um, and I think the the porn is a little bit more of what they use as an excuse because, okay, for example, Sonny, Tammy Lynn Sitch, she's in the WWE Hall of Fame, and she did porn. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, I think that pretty definitively answers that one, doesn't it? Yeah, and even China, China didn't do, like, as much professional porn as Sonny did. China's main thing was just, like, she had a sex tape. Which Hulk Hogan had a sex tape, and Hulk Hogan's back. And Hulk Hogan said the N-word in his sex tape. Uh, The the pre-match promo is basically... So Ivory is a part of a group called Right to Censor, which was a uh, parody of an actual parents organization that protested the WWF for being too too dirty and too horny. So they created this group of wrestlers who who were like, you know, would want to bleep stuff out and would want to, like, cover the scantily clad women. So Ivory is a member of that group. She's the women's champion at this point. Uh, she gave China a spike pile driver that injured her neck. Uh, I had to look it up because I, it seemed really legitimate the way they did it. They even showed her, like, getting an MRI. But actually, no, it was all work. It was all storyline. Okay, I was actually about to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, I had to look up myself to be sure because it seemed very legit. Now, Ivory and her little squad have the most fucking annoying intro of It's terrible, especially because we have to hear it so many times in this show because they have three members of the group in the Rumble. It's almost as, no- uh, as annoying as, oh, what's that motherfucker Bill with the Alfonso? Whistle? Yes, it is almost as annoying as I would as say Bill it's the only reason it's not as annoying is that it doesn't last throughout the whole match. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's pretty terrible. So China's trying to get her revenge on Ivory. Ivory comes out with Steven Richards, uh, former ECW wrestler and now turned t- now turned straight, uh, member of Right to Censor. Um, China comes out with that horrible... China's music's pretty horrible, too, because it's that, Don't treat me like a woman. Don't treat me like a man. And I hate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. She shoots fireworks out of a cannon. Uh, That's pretty fucking dope. JR says something weird about Ivory. He says he thinks she's sexually repressed and premenstrual 30 days of the month. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> no idea. Um, they go at it right away, and China completely manhandles, or I suppose woman handles, Ivory. Which, I made that joke in my notes, and then JR made it later, but I'm going to say that I am I did it first. You're the originator of he, it, even though he made it, what, um, uh, 18 years ago? Yes, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, we They go out to the floor pretty quickly. Ivory tries to escape through the crowd, but China follows her and starts beating on her some more. She lifts her clean over her head and tosses her back over the guardrail. Um, inside the ring, Stephen Richards tries to interfere, but China tosses him right over the top rope. Ivory puts 
you're trying to put Ivory in the corner and does a handspring back elbow, but she just kind of collapses in this very weird ending where Ivory just crawls on top of her and covers her for the win. And yeah. I can see what they were going for here, but they should have done something to make it a little more realistic for her to kind of fall down because I guess they were trying to make it look like she hit her head or something, but it doesn't – she clearly does not hit her head on anything. Yeah, I, I don't like this ending. Yeah, it's – Because I think you can do an injury angle once, and then, like, when they come back, they need to win. Or they, it, they need to at least not fall victim to their injury. And then and then they do it I, I they did this and it kind of feels like they're they're playing a, around a little too much in they they make it seem really serious and they really try to sell it but they're kind of borrowing from like real life injuries in a way that feels a little bit not great like you think, Peyton, you're going to sit here and you're going to accuse Vince McMahon of exploiting real people's trauma for entertainment purposes? You're going to accuse Vince McMahon of that, you monster? The only other time I've seen uh, Jerry the King Lawler get out of, his out of the announce booth to go check on a wrestler is when Owen Hart fell from the like balcony and died. And the only time I've ever heard JR talk like that was when Owen Hart fell from the balcony and died. So it feels a little bit like they're trying to play off Owen Hart's real-life death, which was only two years ago at this point, for an angle. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what they're doing. I was being sarcastic, but um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's super fucking gross, super gross and terrible. That they would do that. I gave this one one out of five stars. I agree wholeheartedly. It was fun to watch China kick Ivory's ass for uh, like two seconds. But overall, this isn't even really a match. Oh, yeah. Uh, we go backstage. Stephanie goes to get her hair fixed, but runs into, trip, or into Trish. Um, Stephanie tells Trish not to get involved in Triple H's match. And to stay out of her affairs, and Trish is like, "Well, I have my own affair to worry about." Cause get it? Cause I'm boning your dad. Uh, in the locker room, um, Hall of Fame wrestler Drew Carey it, gets his wrestling gear, which is just like an Adidas jumpsuit. Um, <laughs> he introduces himself to Kane, who ignores him. Weird that. Uh... Drew Carey's wrestling gear is almost exactly like just the Slavic loungers wear. <laughs> yeah, he's a Russian mobster. <laughs> um, we then figure out how Drew Carey got his spot because uh, we go backstage to three members of a hate crime who <laughs> <laughs> are arguing about which one of them is going to be in the Royal Rumble. It's Tiger Alley seeing D'Lo Brown and some <laughs> other guy. I don't even know who the other guy is. Yeah, no, this is rough. This is just oof. Vince tells them none of them is going to be in the Royal Rumble because they've been replaced by Drew Carey. And then they like, okay, I don't know if you heard this, but Tiger Ali Singh says, who's Drew Curry? Get it? Because Curry is Indian and they're brown and Indian. Get yeah, it? No. So, like, this is twofold. This is a tr two prong assault on everything that is right. 
one, these guys' existence in the first place in this gimmick. Two, the fact that you're bumping them for Drew Carey. Yeah. <laughs> um, we then take a quick shot. I want to mention this real quick. To WWF New York. Have you ever heard of WWF New York? I have not. It's a restaurant they opened in Times Square, a wrestling-themed restaurant in Times oh, Square. Oh, yeah, that's right, because that's where we have, in another show that we covered, the makeout ah, contest. Ah, you're with, right. Was that, wasn't that Trish? No, it was Nydia and, and Jamie Noble, and Jamie Noble was like, yeah, get it, put your tongue in her. Yeah, yeah, it was really gross and terrible. Uh, yeah, WWF New York... Eventually, they changed it to The World, and then they just got rid of it entirely because... It was the horniest restaurant on the face of the planet. And I know you're going to come at me and you're going to say, aren't strip clubs that serve food the horniest restaurant? No, that's not true. This is. Y'all hornier than Hooters or Twin Peaks? Absolutely. Another such restaurants? Um, Absolutely hornier. Yeah, and, and when WWE ever tries to go into stuff that isn't wrestling, it always fails. Like when they try to do movies or uh, football. Hey, man, XFL's coming back, and That's I, for one, am true. extremely fucking hype. Only if they do it the right way, but I don't want to get into a whole XFL thing. Right, but it does have to be—all the matches have to be worked. It has to be like wrestling, but continue. <laughs> Kurt Angle ends up uh, recruiting Trish Stratus because he's like, well, I, I want to fight against the McMahon family, so he recruits Trish. Vince is mad because he's fucking Trish, and she tells Vince okay. to spank him. Yes, that was oof. I have a question about the timeline here, though. Okay. Was... Was the Trish Vince thing happening before that? Because I, my understanding when I watched it was that like she seduced Vince as to give Angle the edge in this match. But am I misunderstanding that? I think you are because I think he was she was already with Vince McMahon and he just took Trish as his you know valet to kind of be like a fuck you to the McMahons. Gotcha. And, and so that Stephanie would be distracted. Um, yeah, and that's not even, like, the worst thing Vince has done to Trish, because there is a moment where, after she turns on him, uh, he makes her bark like a dog and crawl around in the ring. Uh, yeah, that's Probably one rough. of the worst things he's ever done. There's no pun intended there, either. Oh, I meant rough haha, as in I didn't even difficult to swallow, not rough like a dog. Difficult to swallow, like... God damn it, no. We're not getting, Why are you so horny, Zach? Horny. Is this a po- am I podcasting with Jerry the King Lawler right now? <laughs> so we get to our uh, puppies. Our, <laughs> our WWF championship match, Triple H with Stephanie McMahon versus Kurt Angle with Trish Stratus. Um it's interesting here. Uh that these guys are both heels, so we get a very rare heel versus heel match here. Okay, I didn't know Angle was a heel right now because he comes off as kind. He of He kind of comes off as a face, but Jr. does mention that neither of them are fan favorites. But I think the storyline surrounding this is enough for fans to kind of uh, kind of get past. Now, that. the fans and oh, I'm sorry, 
finish that. I, I said it was just it, the storyline was enough for fans to get past the whole heel versus heel thing. Gotcha. So here is this before people started chanting "You suck" during Kurt Angle's music, or do people in New Orleans just like Kurt Angle more? Uh, I don't think he they were doing the "You suck" yet. Uh, I, I think that okay. was later and started as like a storyline he did with Edge. I want to say, but I'm not sure. So someone because, will correct me, probably hopefully. Now every time he comes into the ring, I just think like that's a part of his intro, basically. Yeah, even when he's a face, people chant "You suck." It's just part of part of his his thing. Um, we 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 do a lot. Sometimes I feel like they do too much of the whole like picking apart a body part because we've done it in like every match. Every ma- match has had someone come in with an injury. Um, yes. This match doesn't come in with an injury, but Triple H does start attacking Kurt Angle's leg. But before that, we had China's neck. And the match before, we had Chris Jericho's arm. And the match before that, we had the Dudley's heads. So, I think yeah. we've done the yeah. whole, like, focusing on a body part a little too much. But that's just me. It can be used once per show in, you know, one match in, in a way that's been built up and is good. But here it is it is way too much. I agree with you. But I think I get the feeling that this is our big story point for this pay-per-view. Yeah, I'd say so. Oh, that was all you had? Oh, I was just going to... Just because, I mean, you can't really have that much story being in Ro- Royal Rumble. Yeah. Because typically you save your big story point as your main event, but here it has to go a little bit before. Sure. Um, We go to the outside eventually, and this is what I was talking about earlier, when... uh. Triple H puts Kurt Angle's leg like around the steel post, and then he hits his leg with a steel chair while the referee is distracted. But the ref hears the chair shot. He walks over and he sees the chair, but he still doesn't disqualify <laughs> Triple H. Uh, back in the ring, Triple H is attacking Kurt Angle's knee, and he puts him in an Indian deathlock, and JR says, or should I say oh, a yep. Native American deathlock? Uh, yeah, that was rough. Uh, Triple H eventually gets him in a figure four. Um, the ref is checking on Kurt Angle, and Triple H is using the ropes for le- leverage. Trish tries to break it up, but Stephanie drags her out of the ring, and they start having a cat fight! Which just completely, like, the, all the cameras focus on, and it t- completely takes away from the match that's going oh, on. Oh, sure. And then, uh, and then Vince comes out, and he, and he breaks it up, and he, he even, like, carries... Trish on his shoulder out of the out of the ring or out of the out of the arena I should say yeah which was not a good look in itself yeah um there's one point in here where Kurt Angle climbs to the middle rope and Triple H hits a low blow and the referee just ignores it the referee just doesn't want to disqualify Triple H I guess yeah I I suppose so I it's rough because like okay Here's my thing. Why not just make if you're gonna do it? I mean, it doesn't add that much drama. Just make it a make it a match where you can do it. Or just change the rules. Yeah, I I guess they wanted to pull the whole like. I think it's because of the ending where they want it to. Because if you make it no DQ and then like someone attacks someone, then it doesn't feel as like you know they got cheated out of. That's it. a good point. 
Um, Angle hits a pretty nice moonsault from the top rope and covers Triple H for a near fall. Again, Angle showing that he can really do it all. Um, eventually, um, the, uh, the ref gets knocked down, uh, and so Angle brings in the title belt, tries to hit Triple H with it, but Triple H ends up hitting him with a pedigree. Triple H tries to pull the ref in the ring, and that's when Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold comes out to the ring and attacks Triple H, throws him in the ring, hits him with the belt, and then hits him with a stunner. Triple H is bleeding, and Angle crawls over drapes his arm over Triple H, and gets the win. I really enjoy, you know, sometimes I have problems with runouts, if they're used too often, or if they're kind of lame, but here I really like the Stone Cold runout, because he really brought a lot to this match, I think. Well, and also they're trying to further the storyline with Triple H and Steve Austin, which is like kind of the real feud here. And it's also showing Angle, because Angle's kind of going through this like champion who wins like at the last second kind of thing. Right. Um, so Kurt Angle ends up winning. Uh, this match, eh, to me, wasn't that. I mean, I really like both of these guys, but to me, they didn't really impress me that much as they normally would. So I honestly gave it a two point seven five out of five. See, I'm glad you said that because I thought I was going to get put on blast for not really liking this. No, it. And I think it's because of the style of these two wrestlers together doesn't doesn't mix well yeah i can see that because triple h is more of a slower brawler kind of guy whereas angles uh you know really athletic exactly he's super technical and so you can do I, i think you can do a brawler against another brawler and that's fun you can do uh, a technical guy against a high flyer, and that's fun because then it becomes like one guy's trying to get off the ground while one guy's trying to keep everything there, and the strategy element really plays in, and it's it's really good. But you can't really do technical versus brawler because that just comes out as boring to me. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I was I was disappointed in these two guys. Yeah, and I mean, two huge names, obviously, and just uh, less than stellar performance. For sure. So now we go to our main event, the Royal Rumble. Are you ready to to for the this Rumble and its and its royalty? I am. I am ready to to fight with these monarchs. We show all the the guys they've been pipping out backstage, Rikishi, Undertaker. Kevin Kelly interviews The Rock, and he says the Royal Rumble is like one big pot of jambalaya. Oh, my God. I love The Rock's mic work here. Oh, of course. It's so fucking good. He gets you so hype, dude. Um... I mean, and I always love The Rock's mic work. That's that's just always going to be the case with me. But here especially, I just feel like he does such a good job of amping everything up. Hey, I mean, he always does. But yeah, no, here is is where he particular, particularly shines. Because I do just love his, like, body after body over the top rope. <laughs> and just, there are so many possibilities. It could be the cane and the, and the rock. It could be cane and the rock. It could be... Stone Cold and The Rock, <laughs> like yeah, and just he does such a good and job, and it's really making people excited to see the kind of the kind of matchups they'll get. Um, we go to the pre-match promo. We hype up all those guys that we've been talking about the whole time. Uh, they're really hyping up Rikishi because he's in the middle of his bad man persona because he ran over Steve Austin with a car, which kept him out of action for a year. Really, he was out of action because of his neck. Uh, turning on The Rock. 
And then we also talk about Kane, Undertaker, Rock, and Steve Austin. So now we're into our Royal Rumble match. Howard Finkel starts explaining the rules. So let's let's go over the rules of the Royal Rumble. Let's let's see let's quiz you, Zach. Can can you give me the rules okay. of the Royal Rumble match? I can. Everyone draws a number. Uh, there are thirty people. Everyone draws a number, and that is the order in which you are going to be introduced to the ring. So you have your first two guys come out like normal, and then every two minutes after that, another wrestler is introduced. In order to eliminate a wrestler, you must put them over the top rope, and both feet must touch the ground. The last man standing is the victor. I think you got it. Hell yeah. I do. See, I did so I good. I do feel like it did not, those two-minute intervals did not really feel like two minutes. No, they didn't. It, was, it felt shorter. Yeah, and the, the thing is, they are gimmicked. Like, they're not, like, actually on two minutes. They're gimmicked to be, like, to go along with the flow of the match, so... Right, right. Two minutes. There's actually this website I found one time that like went through every like goes through every Royal Rumble and tells you exactly how long the entrants are, how close they actually came or not. So uh, that's pretty interesting. That is that is cool. Someone had a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> uh, our entrant number one is Jeff Hardy. Uh, King says it's an unlucky number, but Jr. does mention that Shawn Michaels won from number one in 1995. Interestingly, number thirty. Actually, did not have a winner until 2008. Uh, was the first time what? someone won from the last spot. There is something weird going on at this event. What's that? In the opening scene of the crowd, there is a man holding a D's Nuts sign in 2001. Weird, right? Because D's Nuts is sort of a... a what? Um, there was a D's Nuts sign? There was a D's nuts. That's sign. crazy. And that joke is like 2015 forward. So weird that 14 years before it's introduced, there is a sign that says D's nuts. Uh, I think it's a time traveler. Oh, do you? Because I'm about to tell you exactly why it's a time oh, traveler. Oh, go for there it. There are several time travelers at this event. Oh, shit. Because at exactly one hour and 41 minutes, we see a poster of The Rock. And I paused it, and me and my brother both looked at it, and we're like, what the actual fuck? Because it looks like a poster of The Rock now. He has the completely shaved head, he's got more muscles, and he does not look like 2001 The Rock oh, on the poster. Oh, fuck. Um, so, yeah, that was my quick uh, aside. You guys should go and look for those things if you can, and join me on my Time Traveler Royal Rumble 2001 uh, beliefs. That's crazy. I can't believe it. I can't believe two time travelers went to see this show. But hey, they picked a pretty good one. Indeed, they did. Uh they really just were here to see Drew Carey. Yeah, I, you know what? Honestly, whenever I heard that Drew Carey was in a Royal Rumble when I was a kid, I immediately wanted to go watch this Royal Rumble. Just <laughs> to see Drew Carey. Um, our second entrant here is Bull Buchanan, a member of Right to Censor. Uh, Bull Buchanan and Jeff Hardy start brawling right away. Uh, entrant number three is Matt Hardy, so Matt comes to his brother's aid immediately, and they quickly clothesline Buchanan, uh, Buchanan, Buchanan over the top rope. I feel like so I when, said his name wrong a oh, lot. I, I'm sorry. I just think I've been saying Buchanan. It's hard. No, you said Buchanan. Yeah, I thought, I've heard you say Buchanan. Words are hard. Go ahead. <laughs> 
Uh, so I think that this is an interesting strategy when we come to like, okay, we have 30 guys that are going to be in a ring. How do we build this experience to be good for the audience? And I think that the way that you see this play out is really good in that you have basically two sort of B-tier guys come in and fight some C-tier dudes, and they do it in a really fun way. And one thing that I really like about the Royal Rumble is that it gives a chance for you to show exactly how badass your top roster guys are. Oh, for sure. And it, it's it, I like I like it when they get like kind of broken into segments because like here we have like this Hardys segment for a little while, right? Because uh, the Hardys actually start fighting each other, the, the crowd pops pretty cool for. Although I think the more like the smarter move would have just been to sit around for two minutes, but that would have been boring. Yeah, and that's exactly what uh, the commentary team says as well. Uh, Farouk comes out at number four, which I guess that's why Bradshaw was laughing at his number. Um, the Hardys double-team him and then toss him over the top rope. Uh, and the Hardys take their shirts off and start wrestling, to which King says, are they going to fight or just undress? <laughs> and then here we go, entrant number five, the man you've all been waiting for, the guy who's going to win the Royal Rumble and go on to WrestleMania. Drew, Mr. Oh. Drew Carey. Drew Carey. He's coming down, slapping hands with fans, taking his time coming to the ring while Matt and Jeff Hardy fight each other. He's Now, I actually think, though, that we get a lot of really good wrestling out of Drew here. Like, <laughs> he surprised me. He's, you know, he's a comedian. He's not a wrestler, really. But the way that he just starts bodying people and just throwing them over the top rope. I mean, I was absolutely astounded by this man's athletic ability. Yeah, he's a solid worker, the kind that would make people like Ric Flair and Harley Race just just weep. Yeah, and you know, I really think that like he missed his calling as a wrestler. I think he's one of the few greats that would have been able to like beat Holt. Holt That's Hogan. why he went to the Hall of Fame in 2011. <laughs> All right, let's. Let's bring it back down to reality. Drew Carey just watches Matt and Jeff Hardy eliminate each other. And then he starts celebrating like he did something. And then. And then Kane comes out as entrant number six. And Drew Carey is clearly terrified. He starts asking for help. He starts asking for the Hardys to come back. And Kane is circling him like a shark. And I've got a quote from the, uh, from the commentary team here that I liked. The big red machine is a carnivore, and Drew Carey is a pork chop. Mmm, yummy. Also, probably a little bit of a fat joke. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's, you're right. Damn it, I, I like it less now. Well, Kane gets into the ring and uh, sets off his pyro on the turnbuckles. Drew tries to shake his hand, and then he tries to offer him some money, but Kane's having none of it because I don't think Kane uses currency. No, he has no concept of currency. I think Kane just commits, like, he just beats people up and gets what he wants. And he's about to do that to Drew Carey. He picks him up for a choke slam, but entrant number seven, Raven, comes down to the rink and saves the day, hits Kane with a kendo stick, and so Kane jumps over the top rope and eliminates himself. So Drew Carey... Uh, oh, wait, you said, you said that Kane did that, sir. <laughs> oh, no, I, I meant Kane drops... Kane drops him, like he lets go of him, and then Drew Carey jumps over yeah. the top rope and eliminates himself. 
Yeah. So yeah. Drew Carey so, didn't. Um, everything I said earlier was actually a lie, <laughs> and Drew Carey just jumped out. Hey, Drew way. Carey didn't get no eliminations. He eliminated one person himself. <laughs> That's more than most people in this match. Very true. So now we progress like into our next segment here, which is like a hardcore segment. Uh, Raven is the hardcore champion, and he starts dragging out weapons out from under the ring, a bunch of trash cans that actually have trash in them, which is confusing as to why there are full trash cans under the ring. (laughs) Um, Al Snow comes down to the ring and starts fighting with Raven before the buzzer has even gone off. The referees are, like, not letting him go in the ring until the buzzer sounds, and then they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, that was a little bit weird. Al Snow, unfortunately, does not bring head with him. We don't get head tonight. No, we do not. But we do get a bowling ball. Right into the nards. Right. (laughs) Directly into the nards of Raymond. Did you say Raymond? Is that not his name? Does everyone Hold up. Are you under the impression that this guy's name is Raymond? I mean, yeah, it's just like some wrestlers just have normal names, His man. His name is Raven. Oh. You thought this guy okay. was... Okay, first of all, I'm pretty sure we've watched a Raven match. And second of all, okay, he's okay. running around. You think some dude is running around looking like fucking Nirvana <laughs> is named goddamn Raymond? I thought Raymond was just going through his scene. <laughs> so, you know, he has his group, Raymond's Flock. <laughs> he His catchphrase is, quote, the Raymond Nevermore. <laughs> Everyone flocks to him because of how much they love him. Jesus Christ. That's the funniest thing about that. That's funnier than Drew Carey being in the match. <laughs> Okay, but in my defense, in my defense, they did not give everyone's name written at the bottom of the screen when they entered. They only did it for some people, and so I was just going off what the commentary team said, and I misheard Raven as Raymond, and I don't think that's that wild. Al Snow and Raymond start double-teaming Kane. They're hitting him with trash cans. They can't knock him down. Finally, they take him down with a double drop to hold on the trash can. Entrant number nine is Perry Saturn. All three guys start double teaming Kane. Steve Blackman comes out next at number ten. Stick, man. and he just starts beating people up with some sticks. Yeah, no, I love that this man is just his whole thing is I am I I do the sticks good. He was I am a martial. He artist. was like a UFC fighter that like really could never transition over to wrestling. You know, like, real fighters are usually not the best fake fighters. Yeah, because they are not good actors. Exactly. Um, And here, like, I don't know, just giving a man some sticks does not make him a great wrestler. (laughs) Giving a man sticks does not a good wrestler make. Exactly. Entrant number 11 is not the sexy boy, it's the sexy boy, Grandmaster Sexy. He oh, he boy. grabs a trash can lid and starts hitting people with it. Uh, but Kane 
goes and grabs a trash can, hits Sexay with it, knocks him over the top rope, and then Kane throws everybody else out of the ring. Right, and this is what I'm talking about where I'm saying, like, you can make your A-tier guys look fucking badass. Kane just eliminates five people in the span of maybe a minute. Maybe. Well, and it's to be really fair, fucking cool. Okay, five, are you counting because he eliminates Blackman, Raven, Saturn, and Grandmaster Sexay, so are you counting Drew Carey as number five? Uh, no, I just miscounted. That was I four. think we should count Drew Carey as number five. I, I think so, too. I think that counts as a Kane elimination. Um, Kane actually does. Speaking of Kane eliminations, in this match, Kane sets a record that's not broken until 2014 of most eliminations in a single rumble with 11. Not including... Who breaks that record? Will I be disappointed to Roman find out? Roman Reigns. Oh, okay. That's fine. Although, to be fair, if you count Drew Carey as one of his eliminations, then Roman Reigns only ties him. <laughs> I think our next entrant is uh, my least favorite person ever. I've never heard of him, and I never want to hear of him again. What, you don't like the honky-tonk man? I hate the honky-tonk man with every fiber of my being. Someone was like, you know what would be a good gimmick? Elvis impersonator. Yeah. Although, yeah, and ooh. he's the longest reigning intercontinental champion of all time. What? Are you fucking kidding me? He's also me? Jerry Lawler's cousin. Well, that's strangely not surprising. But how is he the how how has he had the intercontinental championship longer than anyone else? How, how did that happen? Well, because in the old days, titles didn't change hands as much, and they didn't have regular like shows. You know, when you didn't have a show three times a week and a pay-per-view every month, your titles didn't change hands as much. Yeah, no, I actually have because they mentioned that he was the Intercontinental Champion. um, I have written down here, who made Honky Tonk Man the Intercontinental Champion? Well, he wasn't the Intercontinental Champion on this show. Sure, but I'm just saying, like, at what point, who did he beat? How did he beat Let's find out. Honky Tonk Man. (laughs) <laughs> he googled <laughs> he defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat considered to be one of the best wrestlers of all time in 1987 oh my fucking god so he would this is like if Hornswoggle came out and just took down John Cena that would be like Hornswoggle winning the Cruiserweight Championship oh wait that actually happened fuck <laughs> Uh, oh, here's the kicker. He often got himself deliberately, deliberately counted out or disqualified so he couldn't lose the title. Ah, classic honky-tonk man. Classic honky-tonk man. So, Who then performs for us a song. Yeah, what'd you think of his performance? It fucking sucked. Especially because they don't play, like, the karaoke version of his intro music. They just play his intro music, and he sings along with him singing. Hey, man, that's how all the greats did it. Like Elvis. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Who knows? But it was very satisfying to see what Kane did Yeah, to Kane him. hits him on over the head with his own guitar and then throws him over the top rope. Giving... Thus eliminating the best competitor in this fucking The second Royal best competitor in this Royal Rumble after Drew Carey. Absolutely. So Kane's eliminations are now up to five at this point. 
Um, yeah, no, he's kicking so, ass. The Royal Rumbles kind of do this thing where they have a lot of like C tier guys that get tossed out pretty quickly before they they bring out somebody big, which is our entrant number thirteen, The Rock. And boy, does he do! He gives a great performance. Yeah, here. The Rock and Kane start going at it. Um, Rock tries to eliminate Kane. Kane stops him, takes him down with a big right hand. Rock gets a big clothesline. Eventually, entrant number fourteen comes out, The Good Father. Member yeah. of Right to Censor. Yes, that's the Godfather. He just changed his name to Good. I thought so. You know, here's the thing. How do you go? How do you go from the hoe train to the Bible train? <laughs> He's reformed. <laughs> I like someone came out there like Godfather. Look. It's gone too far. It's gone too far. And he looked at his hoe train and he was like, yes, you are correct. I'm going straight now. And, and they're like, well, how, how are you going to change your name uh, to sound more, uh, you know, more like a good guy? Well, obviously we have to get rid of the word God and change God to good. <laughs> because good is gooder than God. Indeed it is. Uh, he doesn't last very long. He gets tossed right over, uh, or he gets punched over, rather, by The Rock. Entrant <laughs> uh, number 15 is Taz, and Taz is really done dirty when he comes to the WWF. So let's, let's, uh, let's compare. Kurt Angle has been in the, in the company for a year now, and he went, from, he went to becoming the WWF champion. Taz also made his debut one year ago. And he went from, you know, being the, like, greatest guy in ECW history, beating people up, putting people through entranceways, to lasting eight seconds in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough watch for Taz. Gets tossed right out by Kane, giving Kane elimination number six. Entrant number 16 is Bradshaw, and Bradshaw's the first guy in a while who actually has some staying power in this Royal Rumble. So they're getting to this point where now they're going to start trying to fill up the ring a little bit and give us that classic right. Royal Rumble anarchy of lots of dudes being punch boys. Indeed. Uh, we get a bunch of guys come out that don't really do too much. Uh, Albert comes out at number 17. Hardcore Holly, 18. K. Quick, who is now Ron... Tr or not Ron Truth. <laughs> he was Ron Killings, and then he was R-Truth. Uh, his gimmick is that he comes to the ring rapping and also has an imaginary friend named Jimmy. Now, his gimmick back then okay. was just rap. I think that that puts him one step above John Cena, honestly, gimmick-wise, because John Cena made really bad raps, but he had no imaginary friends. Well, no, no, John Cena himself is the imaginary friend because you can't see him. Oh! <laughs> Val Venus, also part of Right to Censor, comes out at number 20. William Regal comes out at number 21. Test comes out at number 22 and tosses William Regal right over the top rope. It's disappointing that someone whose last name was Regal did not spend longer in the Royal Rumble. Yeah, I agree. But it was kind of weird to me that, like, we fill up the ring, like you're saying. 
But then we get Regal in, and he's immediately thrown out. He 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 doesn't get to be a part of this. Party. Anything can happen in the Royal Rumble. Um. Uh. But you know who we have next? Whom? The big whale. He's actually uh, making a, a. You can kind of tell by the commentary. He's making a return. He's kind of been had a little a long absence. Big Show kind of does that. He he'll like stay around for a little while, and then he'll disappear for like a year. Really? Yeah. So he's. That's. I guess he's always moving on. A, a rolling Big Show gathers no moss. <laughs> Well, Big Show is is here, uh, gets a big pop, and uh, the announcers are kind of like, oh, I can't believe Big Show's here. They always have, like, some surprise entrance in the Royal Rumble, uh, like with Drew Carey or Honky Tonk Man. Big Show is in, yeah, is in yeah, an elite the, group The most here. surprising of them all. Big Show is in, a, in an elite group here. Uh, but, yeah, he starts taking out everyone. He, he eliminates Test and K-Quick. And then he chokeslams Albert Bradshaw, Val Venus, Hardcore Holly, and Kane. He tries to chokeslam The Rock, but The Rock kicks him in the crotch and then clotheslines him right over the top rope. Big Show didn't last too long in this one, but he does make a pretty good impact. Right, that's what I was going to say. He doesn't last long, but he does get to kick some ass for the short amount of time that he's there. And he's not even done because he throws a tantrum and he pulls The Rock under the ropes. Important to note that he goes under and not over. And then he chokeslams The Rock through the announce table. And you know what I'll say is, like, I understand in a Royal Rumble doing this because you need to give your guys some rest. Like, like they, they need a chance to sit out for a second. Kane does not get any such luxury. No, he doesn't. This man is constantly in Yeah, the he's been in there for, like, they, they keep, like, keeping a running count of how long he's been in there. But he's been in there for more than 30 minutes at this point. Um... So, yeah, like, not only does he get to eliminate a lot of guys, he also stays in there for the, almost the whole thing. Right, right. Um, Crash Holly comes out at number 24. Everyone starts teaming up on Kane, and that's when entrant number five, 25 comes out, The Undertaker. Everyone's been speculating as to whether or not The Undertaker is going to help Kane, and he uh, gives us the answer uh, by coming in the ring and taking everybody out. Together, they eliminate everyone in the whole match before staring each other down. I think, though, there is something important that you forgot to say about The Undertaker. Oh, that he's Biker Taker? And what's his entrance music? Oh, was it was it rolling? Keep rolling, 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 rolling. What? Yeah, it's Limp Biscuit. It's no, rolling, no, you're it's loving that shit right here. Okay, what's worse to have as your entrance music, Kid Rock or Limp Biscuit? Fuck! Oh, that's so difficult. I'm gonna say Lip Biscuit by like a. Centimeter. Well, I guess that's why oh, you're saying Lip Biscuit is worse. No way! Actually, I'm changing my answer. Kid Rock's worse because Kid Rock's actually a shitty human being, whereas Fred Durst, while making terrible music, is not that bad of a guy. Well, only one of them is in the WWE Hall of Fame, and it's Kid Rock. Ugh, they have a celebrity disgusting. wing, and it's the worst idea. Yeah, no, that's pretty dumb. Does every celebrity that ever shows up just just get to pretty, be there? Like, what puts you in the Hall of much. Fame? Like Drew Carey, he was here for two seconds. Pretty much. And Donald Trump is in the Hall of, the Hall of Fame. Ugh. Um, although, to be fair, Donald Trump did much more than Drew Carey and Kid Rock combined, so. Absolutely, that is true. He did at least get stunnered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Drew Carey didn't even get a choke slam. He just got... Half of one. 
<laughs> he just got choke. He didn't get slam. All choke, no slam. Um, intro number 26 is Scotty Too Hottie, and he looks like he's shitting himself. Uh, though, I will say just here, because you, you did mention that they eliminated everyone, but they did it with fucking yeah, style. Yeah, sorry I, for, for skipping too much. Please tell me about the style of the Brothers of Destruction. Uh, just, it was super badass. It was probably maybe 30 seconds long, and they get, between the two of them, one, two, three, four, five eliminations. And, uh, like, they're doing it simultaneously, so it's almost hard to keep up yeah, with who's being eliminated. Track. But it, it, it's easy to keep up because it's everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. They clear the whole thing. But isn't it way. sweet to, that they have this nice family reunion? You know, after, after and, all they've <laughs> been through, they do deep down love each other. And then they are rudely interrupted by Scotty Too Hottie looking like a fucking wizard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scotty almost gets worse off than his partner Grandmaster Sexay. He gets double choke slammed by Taker and Kane before they toss him right out of the ring. Uh, then we get to entrant number 27, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin. The crowd goes wild, but before Austin can get in the ring, Triple H returns the favor on him earlier and beats him up. And beats the fuck beats out, the of, fuck him out of him, He starts bleeding, like, really bad. Like, he's, like, bl- like he's got blood all over his body. Yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. Entrant number 28 is the former, the reformed Mr. Ass... The artist formerly known as Mr. Ass, <laughs> Billy Gunn. Billy sprints down to the ring and starts going after Kane and Taker. The referees are now kicking out Triple H while Austin is in a bloody heap. Entrant number 29 is another surprise entrant. It's Haku, who you probably don't recognize, but he's a pretty he was a pretty big name in the 80s. He was uh, tag team champions with Andre the Giant, actually. Oh, really? I did not realize, because they were like, it's Haku, and I'm like, who the fuck is Haku? Haku. But that makes a lot of sense. Haku is also considered to be, like, the scariest man in wrestling, even though he doesn't look like it. Andre the Giant was scared of him, because he would, like, like, he could actually kill you. Damn. Like, everyone was terrified of him. But another important thing to note is Haku's... uh, Appearance here was particularly a surprise to his employers at WCW because he just showed up when he was still employed by WCW and was their hardcore champion. Oh my god! At the time of showing up for this show, did he go back to them or did he just like permanently stay with the WWE? Yeah, he stayed with the WWE for a while. Uh, WCW was about to be over at this point anyway. So, yeah, he ended yeah. up staying with them and forming a tag team with Rikishi because they're both Samoan and everyone who's Samoan is related in wrestling. This is very true. And everyone who is vaguely brown can be any ethnicity as well. But I do like that they stick to them being Samoan, which I think they all actually yeah. are. Yeah, and, and the most of the Samoan wrestlers are actually related. That's, that wasn't me really being sarcastic. They really are. Oh, yeah, really? Like the, it's the Enawa'i family. And so the Wild Samoans, Haku, Rikishi, uh, The Rock is, like, related uh, to— Yeah, I thought he was, like, Rikishi's cousin. cousin. I I think it's, like, not a blood relative thing. I think it's, like—it's something kind of kooky. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, But, yeah, no, uh, Roman Reigns, Umaga, they're all 
related somehow. Okay, I did not actually realize that. But uh, though I would like to point out that while this is going on, like while he's entering the ring, there is a whole gaggle of refs trying to pull Triple H off of Stone Cold. There's like seven goddamn refs. Yes, because seven measly refs are no match for Muscle Man. Ha ha ha. <laughs> um, number three is Rikishi, and as Rikishi's on his way down, he attacks Austin, but Austin fights back and throws Rikishi in the ring. Uh, and so Austin now is a bloody mess, but he's clearing house inside the ring, knocks Haku right over the top rope. Um, Taker, meanwhile, choke slams Rikishi. And then he tries to eliminate The Rock, but The Rock hangs on. Rikishi comes back and super kicks Undertaker over the top rope. I was a little disappointed that Rikishi eliminated someone like The Undertaker. I also was disappointed with Rikishi eliminating The Undertaker. I, I'm right there with you. That was fucking lame. It was pretty stupid. But the thing is, I guess in any of these matches, like eventually someone big has to go out and... They're not always taken out in the way you would want them to be. That's true. Uh, speaking of someone big, Rikishi's about to drop ass on the rock. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't say that without <laughs> laughing. And do the bonsai drop, but the rock gives him a low blow and dumps him over the top rope. Um, Austin attempts a stunner on Billy Gunn, but Billy reverses it and hits a fame-asser. Billy tries to throw... <sighs> I think they actually call it the famouser because he is anti-ass at this point. <laughs> He's turned his back. He's on turned ass. the other cheek. <laughs> Billy tries to throw Austin over the top rope, but Austin reverses it and sends Billy over the top instead. So now we're down to the final three of Kane, Rock, and Austin. They're all staring each other down. Austin's pretty fresh, although not that fresh because he got beat up. Kane, of course, has been in there for like 50 minutes the rock has been in there for over 30 at this point and that's one thing that i like about the royal rumble is that like story-wise they do try really hard to make it make sense about like each of these guys has a handicap essentially like yeah the rock has been incapacitated for a while steve austin is just like peanut butter baby but covered in blood and then kane has been in this shit since what number six he was number six in the ring something like that and so, like, each man is working at a disadvantage, but is somewhat level. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a, I didn't really think too much about that. Nice way of putting it. Um, the Rock and Austin have an intense stare down before they start going at it. Um, Rock attempts a rock bottom, but Austin reverses it into a stunner. Um, Kane tries to cut him off, but Austin hits a Thez press on Kane. And that's when Rock hits Austin with a rock bottom. Um, Rock, Austin picks up the rock and tries to throw him over the top rope, but Rock reverses it and starts trying to throw Austin over, and that's when Kane comes from behind and tries to dump them both over. But Austin stays in, the rock goes to the outside. Now we're down to our last two guys, Austin and Kane. Kane choke slams Austin, uh, and then he goes outside and grabs a steel chair. Kane tries to use the chair, but Austin kicks him in the gut. Hits a stunner, and then Austin hits him in the chair three times. Hits him in the chair. Hits him in the head with the chair three times before closing him, clotheslining him over the top rope to win the Royal Rumble. 
So what'd you think? This was a fantastic match. I kind of wish Kane would have won, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I loved it. I thought that the Royal Rumble, uh, again, it's a great way to show, like, exactly the difference between, like, what makes a great wrestler, what makes you a shitty wrestler. Uh, and the Royal Rumble, you get to see great wrestlers just fucking destroy, just mow through people. And I love that about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, there's maybe five guys in the Royal Rumble that have a shot. And I, I, I'm fine with that, though, because I'm cool with seeing them just wreck people like their father. Going into it, who do you think was going to win? Um, I honestly thought that it would be The Rock. Yeah. Uh, going in, just because they the promo he was able to give and everything. But, uh, I, I, again, I kind of wish it would have been Kane. I kind of wish yeah. it would have been Kane. Kane, despite his record-breaking Royal Rumble here, and he's actually been in more Royal Rumbles than anyone else, has never won a Rumble. Uh, whereas Austin, this was Austin's third Royal Rumble win, the most of, of anyone. And I see why that is, because Kane is not, I mean, Kane isn't A-lister, but he's not the kind of A-lister. He's like an A-minus to... lister. Yes. The fact that he doesn't really speak hurts his ability to be at, you know, be the in the main event a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, oh. And so when we're competing for the world championship at WrestleMania, Kane is just not going to make the cut. Ultimately, I gave it a 3.75 out of 5 stars. One of my favorite Royal Rumbles of all time. Um, it was really good. Austin will go on to WrestleMania 17. Uh, and then, of course, as we've already done this before. He ends up facing The Rock in the main event there. Um, and and ends up winning against him, winning the title in a in a pretty pretty good match. That's the one where... Vince McMahon ends up coming in, and he aligns himself with with Vince, and all that shit happens. So this is all leading up to that, but pretty good. Can we uh, WrestleMania? Can we can we briefly talk about just some other Royal Rumbles that are notable, like uh, the fact that Hornswoggle is still competing in one? Yeah, Hornswoggle is still technically in the 2008 Royal Rumble because um, he was never eliminated. He just walked out, and he went under the ropes. Uh, also, Scotty Tuhati is technically the winner of the 2005 Royal Rumble because he came down to the ring and was attacked uh, before he could get in the ring, and he was taken away. But at the end of the Royal Rumble, both Batista and John Cena fall out of the ring at the same time, and they have to restart. But since Scotty Tuhati had technically not entered the ring... So that means Scotty Tuhati won the 2005 Royal Rumble, right? According to the rules, I'm, I think I'm right. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think that if you come across Hornswoggle in in your life, you just need to set up some ropes, throw him over the top one, and you can end the 2008 Royal Rumble. The 2008 Can you believe that a Royal Rumble is still going on 11 years later? <laughs> Well, technically, technically, it's still going on because John Cena won that one. So technically, it's still going on between John Cena and Hornswoggle. <laughs> the longest wrestling match so, of yes, all time. Yes, you can eliminate either man at any point and give. You could make Hornswoggle the 2008 Royal Rumble winner if you can just throw John Cena over a top rope. Actually, okay, I'm pretty sure that John Cena has been thrown over a top rope since then. 
in a regular match. So I guess that excellent means... point. So Hornswoggle wins. Oh man, Where, why was Hornswoggle not allowed to main event WrestleMania? I I I don't know, man. It's a, it's a it's a damn shame. <laughs> also, uh, this is this is completely unrelated. But you know what uh, the Triple H with the H's stand for? What? Him, huge Hulk guy. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh man, I think on that note we need to we need to wrap this up before we say anything else is weird and makes everyone listening want to rip their ears off, a la Mick Foley. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, that about does it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. We want to encourage you to watch along with us. So next week, we'll be discussing women's wrestling. Uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit here. Women have never really, have not always been treated the way they probably should in wrestling. So we're going to kind of take you through the evolution of women's wrestling matches to where it is today, where it's become pretty progressive. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you about that. We'll be posting a full list of the matches we're talking about on our Twitter page. That's at Turnbuckle Train. And we'll be watching on the WWE Network. But since Vince McMahon isn't signing our checks to promote their app, feel free to find it wherever you can, and we won't snitch. You can also keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter, like I said, at Termical Train. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Son of a bitch! I did it for the love.